0: Lifeway Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network.
1: This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today.
2: Because we spend our days chasing other people's uniqueness. We just do that. And yet, if young leaders can grab a hold of the truth and become proud of God's unique... I mean, think about literally the scripture in Psalm 139 says, and we've all heard the part where it says, he knit us together in our mother's womb, but we skip down two verses, three verses, and it literally says, while looking at the breadth of our life, So if we don't believe that how he uniquely made us, it matches what he's called us to do, then that's a bad theology. Like We've got to believe that God built me, he wired me, he gave me these unique things, specifically with something in mind.
0: Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host Chandler Vinoy, here with my co-host Mike Kelsey. Mike, how you doing? Man,
1: I'm good. Uh, it is like 70 something degrees out here in the DC Ooh, area. So, there you I'm go, loving it, bro. Uh, man, I'm excited today. I get to talk to a friend of mine, Tyler Regan. Uh, some of y'all who are listening know who he is. He's the founder and CEO of The Life Giving Company, uh, and he's the former president uh, of Catalyst. Uh, which was really a leadership movement, not just a conference, but I know many of us have been able to benefit from the conference itself. He worked at Northport Ministries for 10 years, and he's also the author Mm -hmm. of The Life-Giving Leader. And his latest book, which I highly recommend you pick up, is Leading Things You Didn't Start, which is a whole bunch of us. So
0: Tyler, (laughs) man, thanks for being on today. Thanks for having me. Good to see you guys. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, you just came right off the golf course, just rolled right in, hopped that's on the right.
2: podcast. So man, thanks for interrupting your round to join yeah. us today. If My eyes are watering. It's just because I got sweaty out there and I'm, I'm in my own stink. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's all good. <laughs> there you go. Well, what's your, what's your handicap? Let's just I'm, go ahead and throw uh, it out there. Well, I got it down to three and a half last summer. Wow, and I, I, It's beefed up a little to about 4.2 right now. And I'm not real happy about it. So hey, uh, it's the beginning of the season. You'll, right, get, you'll get rolling. Right. It's all season. I am. What's, I'm, I'm supposed to play Bay on Sunday. So I'm kind of excited about that. Oh, wow. That was actually my next question. What's like the best golf course you've ever played or favorite? Well, pebbles still like I've played it twice, uh, with convoy hope. They do a big, um, uh, fundraiser out there and I've played that twice. It's ridiculous, but probably my favorite course is, um, well, there's one here in Atlanta that's it's called capital city, but it's their, their North like suburb course. And it's unbelievable. But, um, Ocean course at Keough Island out in Charleston oh. is, is spectacular. Did they play the PGA there? Is that the one they play? <laughs> they did. Yeah. That's where we okay. won that. And then the Ryder cup was played there years ago and it just demolished people. <laughs> well, Bay, Bay Hills in Orlando,
0: right? Yeah. They just, they just recently played there. Yep. So right before the shutdown last year of COVID, we were down at exponential in Orlando and we are at a restaurant and we sit down and the whole time me and my buddy, we both uh, keep up with golf and we're like, dude, I think that's Rory McIlroy. <laughs> and it was one of those moments. You're like, you see a famous person, but you're like, right. I think it's him. So finally we, we figured out it was him. We're like Bay Hills literally be, be being played this weekend. So right before, you know, the shutdown, I got to meet Rory. That's course, amazing. I haven't even been a, a fan of a sport at uh, attending a sport recently, but that was a fun memory. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I
1: feel like well, in German. <laughs> You know, I've, I've literally never played golf. <laughs> not one time.
2: Outside of like putt-putt golf. Right, like right, right. I've
1: never been to a driving range. I've never not even I've top never, golf. Have you done top golf? I not
2: top golf. Oh, that would yeah. get you excited about it. top golf's fun. Oh yeah. That's what
1: I hear. I've had those yeah, people time. teach me like different grips, but I have not that's not gonna do anything right if you've never been on a gr- Like what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I, Mike, I we got work you know, to do, my friend. I've got your back. All right, we'll Ooh. see.
0: We need to all go hang out at Top Golf. That'll be like that'll be fun. It's like, I always say it's like playing golf with bumpers, like bowling with bumpers, yeah, it's but bowling, it's like playing basically. golf. Yeah,
1: it's great. That's exactly where I wanna be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Tyler, thanks for joining us today. And uh, we're excited to, to hear about your leadership journey and, and kind of where God's taken you. So let's go ahead and jump in here. Can you just walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles that you've been in over the years?
2: Yeah, for sure. I, um, I grew up in Atlanta here in Atlanta and, um, just really enjoyed, um, being around the church. I didn't grow up in it. I grew up, well, it's hard to say because when you're in the South, you kind of grow up in it, but you're not really in it. And my parents, every time we would join a church or move our letter to that church, then we would stop going for some ridiculous reason. So um, I just kind of grew up around it, but I always, I never had a problem with Jesus. I had more problems with the people um, that <laughs> represented Jesus. And so uh, late in high school, we became a believer. And a lot of people would then like, you know, uh, adult volunteers and stuff in the youth group were like, you should be a pastor. And I was like, no, like, (laughs) unless God calls me, like, I just don't feel like that's that's not something I decide, you know what I mean? Like, um, but what it was is they saw leadership in me and they knew that I, I just love leading people, even in in high school, you know, I could tell that leading people was something I enjoyed. And then I went off to the university of Georgia, I'm a big Georgia bulldog fan. And so we went off there and we're part of a, a campus ministry that was very special. Um, and you know, Mike works with, with David Platt, David and I went to the same high school together. And then we were involved in that ministry together um, along with Annie F. Downs and Kevin Queen, and some of these leaders who God just raised up in this really unique season. Um, and it was there that I felt called to ministry full time. And I just continued to lead things. You know, um, it's one of those interesting things, even as I look back to my last role at Catalyst, like one of the unique things God's put in my, my spirit and my skill set is I just love leaders. And so, Uh, It doesn't matter if it's Craig Rochelle, who I have the most ridiculous respect for. I still am not intimidated by Craig. I love to lead Craig. Like I can, you know, lean into that. I worked with Andy Stanley for 20 years for crying out loud. Like (laughs) you just, you just, get comfortable with that. There's a lot of people that's not there. They couldn't do that. you know what I mean? Like, um, so yeah, finished there, went to seminary. I was not a good student. I spent a lot of time playing Mario Kart. should have <laughs> been playing, you know, other things. And, um, but I got my, my MDiv from Gordon Conwell in Boston. And, and one of the themes of my story is I'm about as ecumenical as it gets. I, you know, grew up Southern Baptist, was a part of that Wesley Foundation at Georgia, which was more charismatic than it was Methodist, um, was a youth pastor in an Episcopal church for two years. Don't know how that happened. Um, ended up, you know, working at a, a vineyard church when I was in seminary and then a four seas congregational church. Um, just that's just kind of been my, and I love it. There's so many things about church, the kingdom that I just love. And like, I knew I would never be Episcopalian or even Anglican for that matter, but I love some of the reverence in the way which, which they approach the throne of grace and just different things like that. And so, um, You know, just fast forward, I ended up starting um, Athens Church, which was one of North Point's first kind of church plants. And it was in the town we love, the city, you know, we went to school in and um, was doing a job called service programming, which was really what I've done. I'd been, a you know, when I was in seminary, I'd lead worship on Tuesdays in chapel and then I'd run sound on Wednesdays. Like I just always had that kind of worship production, creative bent to my leadership. And I never had it felt like I had to be the guy. I just love pastoring that group. And so I ended up um doing that with North Point, did that at Athens for about a year. And then I did about eight years when we started a campus called Brownsbridge, one of the North Point campuses. And um after that, I was producing kind con- of Catalyst as a contractor. And then they asked me to come over and be the creative director and uh and then develop our staff. So while I was at Brownsbridge is when I fell in like I had led for a long time, but I fell in love with leadership while I was there. And I realized like I'm I'm good at articulating leadership. I love coaching leaders. I love seeing those lights come on and people going, When you lead, you change lives. Like, and so that's when I started my own little side business of coaching and uh just started kind of did that. And that's really what Brad Lominick brought me over to do was to be the creative director and then coach our staff. And, you know, when you're a leadership organization, my big thing to them, when I came over was we should be good at this. Like if we're going to stand on stage and say, this is what healthy leadership looks like. This is what it looks like to run a great organization. This is what it looks like to not have counterfeit wins, which are, you know, a good product with a bad process. Like we're going to be good at this. And so that was my passion for Catalyst, is that the staff led the way in serving these leaders. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I ended up moving into that leadership role there for about six years. And then uh, the last two, I've been doing my own full-time leadership coaching, executive coaching. Um, And then I've been teaching down at Southeastern University and leading their leadership event. So it's been quite a journey. There's no way I would have ever predicted how this played out, you know, and even in that new book, I dedicated it to my 420 SAT score in English because, <laughs> you know, that score didn't really set me in the trajectory. You know, like we're talking about golf, Mike, like I wasn't aligned to go do what I'm doing now, to say the least. And yet, God had some really cool um, ideas for what He wanted to do in my life. So, yeah, that's it. I know that was a long answer, but that gives you at least a little bit of kind of a, some of the bookmarks in the story. Yeah, man. I love it, man.
1: I love your honesty, and I love God can... You, you mentioned, man, you weren't the greatest student and all that. And, and look at where you are now. That's what I tell my kids. It's probably bad parenting advice. <laughs> I tell my kids, Don't even worry about it. Man. You'll be fine. <laughs> Set the bar low, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Set <the> bar low. <laughs> Listen, man. So, okay. So that's helpful to kind of, uh, uh, understand just the different leadership roles you've been in. Uh, one of the things, uh, about this podcast is we're trying to help young leaders see yeah. kind of the behind the scenes stories, not just of what you've done, but kind of what made you who you are. Yeah. Um, and so what was um, a pivotal moment uh, that you look back on that you would say changed your leadership and, and maybe even changed your life?
2: Yeah, it's both. It changed both my leadership and my life. It was one of those stops on the way. And I talk about this in The Life-Giving Leader a little bit. Um, and I had a leader who, you know, we've we've all heard this when you hire, you hire for character, competency, and chemistry, right? Yep. And I had a leader that I worked with and and he and I, uh, we both had Character was fine. Not an issue. Competency was fine. We just didn't fit. You know, like I had a roommate in college who was my one of my best friends. We lived together in that environment we were not good. Like it was not a good situation. We move out. We're good friends again. And that was kind of the situation with this, this leader of mine. And, uh, I decided to move on and go somewhere else. And I told him, I said, you know, God's called you to lead this place, but it doesn't mean I have to stay. Like, um, what you need is, is a, is a leader that fits better with you. And honestly, what's amazing. This was gosh, 16 years ago. The person that followed me has been there since then. Wow. which is, is an amazing truth of the reality of like, God called, I got a lead. I just, I wasn't the right fit for that. But anyway, so we finish uh, our time together and at the last day he said, Hey, let's do an evaluation, which I was not up for. I did not want to do it. It was <laughs> not going to go well. Mm. And, and I said, sure, whatever. So we go to lunch <laughs> And he just goes through this evaluation. I know he was trying to be helpful in his mind and and it, it is what it is. But here's the part that has forever changed my leadership. When he finished, he slid his paper over the side of the table and he said, I have one more major concern. And I was like, of course you do. <sighs> and he said, if you're not successful at the next organization you go to, I just want to encourage you don't blame the organization it's probably just your personality. <laughs> oh. and, and I thought, wow, that was very kind. Um <laughs> the I had four thoughts. The first one I could not repeat now nor could I repeat it then and I didn't, thank goodness. The second one was this leader had just um kind of shirked responsibility for our relationship. You know, It's was like, well, it's you, you know, it's like dating, right? It's not me. He said it the other way. It's, it's actually not me. It's you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other two have changed me. And the second, or one of those was, I thought about two of the six people who had started the organization I was going to and had done it for a long time and who were wired very similar to me and had been successful. But the last one is what's changed. And literally for the last 15 years, I felt like this moment has called my leadership into this thing, which is I thought about Psalm 139 and what Psalm 139 says is that I was knit together in my mother's womb. God did that while looking at the breadth of my life, while looking at my story. And so it just put together if what this leader says is true, then God gave me, he made a mistake. Mm -hmm. He gave me a personality to flounder and not to flourish. And I don't believe that. And so in that moment, for the last 15 years, whatever, however long ago it was, I felt as concrete as anything that God has uniquely positioned me and called me to call out the uniqueness in the people I lead, to call out their unique wiring, their self-awareness, their emotional intelligence, to understand who God uniquely made them. Because we spend our days chasing other people's uniqueness, We just do that. And yet, if young leaders can grab a hold of the truth and become proud of God's unique. I mean, think about literally the scripture in Psalm 139 says, and we've all heard the part where he says he knit us together in our mother's womb. But we skip down two verses, three verses, and it literally says, while looking at the breadth of our life. So if we don't believe that how he uniquely made us, it matches what he's called us to do then that's a bad theology. Like we've got to believe that God built me. He wired me. He gave me these unique things specifically with something in mind. And yet yeah. all day we spend our wheels trying to chase other people's uniqueness. So that was a very, I mean, very critical moment for me that has just shaped everything I do since then.
1: What would you, uh, and I, I hope I'm putting you on the spot. What was it about your personality that for yeah. him was kind of a detriment, but, for, for you, as you thought about it was like, man, this can actually become an asset
2: in my leadership. Yeah, Mike, you, first of all, you can't put me on the spot. Good luck. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, I mean, I've been put, yeah, we're good. Don't worry. Um, honestly, that's one of the most beautiful parts of the whole story is the very th- attribute that this leader thought was like, I'm not a type A person. I am a very unstructured, wired person like well mm-hmm. so there's a right path assessment and uh the right path assessment's one I use in coaching and there's one of the attributes is unstructured versus structured and the the attributes that make up each of those uh, spaces for structured is precise organized and achieving and when you're a type A enneagram 3 enneagram 8 whatever like when you lean towards execution and and drive you can't imagine that leaders that don't have those things are going to be great leaders and so I'm not precise. I mean, like I'm off the charts, the other side of precise <laughs> organizing, achieving, which for years you go, gosh, that stinks. Cause the world loves and celebrates high execution leaders. But here's the most beautiful part. You know, the three attributes that make up unstructured on this assessment, generalist, improviser, and instinct. You know, what made me good at leading 10,000 person events, generalist, improviser and instinct. So the very thing that God called me to do, like people would see me, I've, you know, I've seen you Mike at conferences or like well, that I'm in charge and they're like, you just seem so calm. Like what, like, aren't you in charge? And I'm like, this is what I'm built for. Like I am so alive right now and I'm calm. Like I love this. So those instincts and those things is what made me the kind of leader I am. And honestly, it's what makes me a good, and I, I'm not trying to say I am just, it's what makes me love leadership coaching because I have good instincts. I have good understanding of people, um, not just process. So yeah, man, I I think it's one of the most beautiful parts of my leadership journey is the very thing that, that this guy said is probably going to be keeping me and tripping me up is the very thing God has used to um, grow my leadership.
0: (laughs) Tyler, I love, I love the way that you dove into that because recently I've just been doing a lot of like processing on my own. I've, we talk about personality tests on this podcast a lot. Yeah. And I, I kind of went back and I retook the Strength Finders. I took it about 10 years ago and I was like, I want to see if it's changed. And I was reading through it and I also took Myers-Briggs again and was just processing it. And it's just understanding yourself allows you to lead others and understand your motivations. But I loved what you said was <laughs> You want to unlock that for other people yeah. and what their uniqueness is and how God has wired them. But I also know for for myself and other young leaders, it's so easy for us to look ahead and say, I want to be Tyler. I want to be Andy Stanley. I want to be David Platt. I want to be yeah. those guys. And you just start to be like, Well, I'm not them. So you feel defeated. So I know that there's somebody listening who's sitting there and they feel defeated and they haven't really done the introspection of what is God called me uniquely yes. to and gifted me in. So how would you instruct them to figure out what
2: that is and then how to walk out their leadership in that? Yeah, so uh, in life-giving leader, I I talk about this lady who was um, a hospice nurse in Australia. So for seven years, and you know, like hospice, when you bring hospice in, it's kind of the end of the road, right? Yeah. And so for seven years, her name was Bronnie Ware. She interviewed people on their deathbed. And she said, what is your biggest regret in life? Now what, you know, just ask you guys, what do you think the number one answer was? Something with time with family or something. Right, like well, I didn't make enough money. I worked, I traveled too much, I worked too much. There there wasn't even a close second to what was number one. And number one was I never had the courage to live a life true to myself. I lived a life others wanted of me. Wow. Now you guys like, if there's something I, if I'm sitting across a young leader right now and I, you know, I I do a lot with Southeastern and, and these students that are seniors that are going into ministry, if I could shake them and grab them by the shoulders and say, please listen and learn from the regrets of the dying. Do not spend your days trying to be somebody you are not become confident in that uniqueness that God has you has for you. So how do we do that? Well, you got to start to me again. If somebody said, just give me the, where's the foundation for leadership? I'm going to take you to emotional intelligence. I think it's the most important foundational leadership understanding that you can have. And one of the other beautiful parts about emotional intelligence is it can be learned. You can get better at it. We have natural things, but you can get better at it. And so the first part of that, the foundational part of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. That's where these assessments come in. Now, here's the problem. A lot of leaders take assessments and they, use them as in one of two ways as a weapon against people or as a crutch to avoid growth that's not so that's why as a coach you you can't just take an assessment and just hope you figured it out you need people that understand the assessment and how to use it in a way that life that brings life to the people as you're doing it so so even as uh, you guys were talking about um calling out the uniqueness in people. I remember specifically, uh, a, a, stu- a staff member at Catalyst. He, we were going through his right path at the time. I, I've got a few different other things I use just depending on the situation, but we were using right path at the time. And he had this unbelievable. So in right path, there's a, um, there's one of the attributes is also compassionate versus detached. Well, most people, when you see detached, you go, "Ew!" like, that's a a terrible, like, do people hate me? No. Uh, detached basically means that when I make decisions, I can remove emotion from the decision. So it can be black and white. Well, compassionate, there's no black and white. We're just gray. Like everything's gray. Every, you know, that bog us down. That's where I am. I am super gray. Like when you tell me, Hey, we need to cut $17 out of the budget. My first thought is not, Oh, that's easy. It's who does that affect? How does that affect them? What is that? So that's I wish that I could be detached. Sometimes I just can't, I'm super emotionally connected. And so sometimes it takes me a little longer. Well, I meet with this guy and in the detached side, one of those attributes is challenging. Challenging is basically the devil's advocate. So when I see something, I'm always thinking, well, how, there's gotta be a better way to do that. There's gotta be another way around this. Well, as a leader, I don't want a bunch of challenging pro- profiles on my team that's hard, right? Cause it's a constant, like, Hey guys, here's where we're going. <laughs> you sure? <laughs> do, do you like it? <laughs> I, I don't make eye contact with them because I'm like, they're, they don't, not they they're going, you didn't think this through. I'm like, I tried, but he had a very high challenging score, but he also had an incredibly high compassion score. So what was beautiful about that was this guy knew how to ask the right questions in a way that we didn't feel like it was attacking he could challenge the process in such an honoring way. And I just pointed that out to him. I was like, dude, you got to know something. I've never seen somebody with that unique wiring. And if you don't use that for the rest of your leadership journey, that's crazy talk. So I say that Chandler to your question of, It's uh, there's a learning required, like let's dig into this, but don't be afraid to bring somebody in from the outside and have them look at it. One of my favorite parts about consulting that I have just loved about working with churches. I bring in fresh eyes with some credibility. And so when I come in, I can see things that you're not a fr- you're not willing to see half the time. And I can say it, you know, the way I describe consulting is my, uh, my credibility is what gets me in the room. It's my EQ that keeps me in the room because there's a bunch of people that can point out the problems, but they can't do it in a way that keeps them in the conversation. And so what I would say with a young leader is, Go have lunch, go have breakfast, figure out a way to grow in your self-awareness. But then, and this is a big, but then, and if you use, you know, EQ 2.0, you've got to move from self-awareness to self-management. That's the biggest issue I see with leaders is they will be, oh, I'm a, I'm a woo on strength finders. I'm an eight on Enneagram. I'm a this, 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 and this cool, but you're still a jerk to people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm aware of it. And I apologize. Well, apologies don't remove hurt. They just don't. The point of it is to be aware of my wiring so that I can manage myself so that I can have behavior change. So this, you know, you could get me going in some serious tailspins on this, but it is so critical, I think, for young leaders to go, you know what, I'm going to really develop me. I'm not going to develop what I love, what Mike does and his skill And I love how Chandler leads, but what is it that I'm great at? And I'm going to grab a little bit. I want to get better at these things, but I don't want to be Mike. I want to be Tyler. And honestly, everybody else wins when I serve as Tyler, when I lead as Tyler, the true person who has now, I know myself and I've started managing my behavior. Then it moves into the other two elements. So I, that's where I would go with it.
0: That's great advice. And I, I hope those listening take, if you want to check it out, what's the book that just, uh, it was emotional intelligence 2.0. Oh, yeah, is that
2: right? The newest one is yeah. Emotional to emotional intelligence 2.0. And, and the only reason I like it is it simplifies from the original Daniel Goldman article in Harvard business review. That was five, um, attributes, you know, of EQ down to four. So self-awareness, self-management, um, social awareness, which dear goodness, people need to learn that. And then, um, relational management, which is kind of the culmination of all of it. It's just easier. It's a little simpler to understand. Yeah. Love it. Well, Tyler, let's go back
0: to to young Tyler when you're just starting to lead. What was I'm sure there were mistakes along the way. What was no, I haven't made it? What was it's weird? None at all. This this will be an easy answer for you then. What was the biggest mistake getting started and how did that set you up for
2: the future and you're in your own leadership? Gosh. You know, um you don't know, have you guys heard of onsite? It's a therapeutic retreat center in Nashville mm-hmm. I went there. I went there a few years ago, miles Adcox runs it. He's one of my best friends. And I, I went a few years ago to just process, um, I grew up in a, in a financially, um, less than stable scenario to say the least. It wasn't bad. It was just, um, you know, we just didn't have much and, um, my freshman year at Georgia, they, we went through bankruptcy, which was way before that was as common as it became. And so they came to my dorm parking lot and took the car from the parking lot. And as a freshman, that's a fairly emotional thing. Yeah. But here, here's what I learned at a young age is some, some things, you, some patterns or some protections you put in place as a kid or as a teenager that serve you to keep you from getting hurt in those moments, they don't serve you the rest of your life that way. And so I started creating this, um, scarcity mentality, which was if, because I was tired of being like promised something and it didn't happen or whatever. And you don't really know how to process that. So I remember specifically going, if it's not in my hands, it's not real. I I just was tired of getting hurt by like that kind of stuff. Right. So I went to onsite a few years ago because I started realizing it, you know, I'm I'll be 45 in a couple months. And what served me okay at 18 doesn't serve me good anymore. And I've got two boys, one in seventh grade and one in fourth grade that I do not want to grow up with a scarcity mindset because that I don't believe is biblical. I believe we serve an abundant God, a loving God and we can trust him, you know? And so I was just tripping over that financial. And I still do. I mean, my body responds. You got to pay attention to your body, right? Like, you know, when anxiety is coming because your body acts a certain way. Um, Mine seems to just get heavier. I don't know what that's all about. But (laughs) oh, wait, that's sweet tea. That's it's not my body. That's just the sweet tea and the Cokes and the Chick-fil-A. But what I know about my body is when financial insecurity even circles near my atmosphere, my body starts feeling it. And, and my wife and I, this is our 20 years of uh, marriage this year. Like she's had to deal with, with that in me on a consistent basis. So I tell you that because I think I've made leadership decisions along the way with just the wrong understanding. Like I've just, I haven't planned appropriately because I thought, well, we don't have the money yet. So why would we plan? Or, you know what I mean? Like just some of those things. And then I do believe at times I've made leadership decisions based on a scarcity idea versus trusting and believing and having faith in an abundant God. So, um, that's always been a trip up for me. And, and, until, and that's why with site, I just wanted to work on that. And, um, What's really hard about that is I really feel like I got some good tools. And then the next two years were the hardest ever, uh, of that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. here's the beautiful part of all this stuff. When you work on this stuff, when you deal with it, when you go to counseling, when you fight hard with friends, when you get coaching, you start recognizing that the things that would take you down five years ago, 10 years ago, have actually become strengths. Like I literally, I'm not scared of anything anymore. Like when it comes to trying a new idea or trying a product or reaching out to that person or, okay, so what are they going to say? No. (laughs) Like I used to, there's no way I would do that before, but God's just continued to work through these hard situations and go like, even when I started my own business, that's not my wiring. Like good grief. Like I'm not a big risk taker. I'm not structured, but I'm not a big risk taker either. And so I just remember thinking, should I do this? But 10 years ago, Tyler would have never done it. Now I've got more work than I can handle. I'm bringing on more coaches because there's people that want to work and coach under my company. And because I have, I'm making an impact in kingdom stuff. And it's because I was like, sure. Worst thing, worst case scenario, it doesn't work. And I go get a job, (laughs) but if I have a job, I'm not playing golf this morning. See what I mean? Like, come on guys, this is the win, win, win. There you go. Well, Hey, before we get to the next question, let's take a moment
0: and hear from our sponsor. No matter how many people you have on staff at your church, there's only so much you can accomplish in a day, right? Your church exists to serve your community. So the mission of your church and its staff is to reach as many people as you can. That's why productivity is essential for churches, as most of your church's success lies in its ability to lean into and leverage resources for optimum performance. And thankfully, our friends at Belay know this well. Belay is an innovative staffing solution with over 10 years of experience serving churches. And they have successfully matched thousands of organizations with part-time virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media strategists. That's why they're offering our listeners a free download of their resource, Church Leaders, Essential Strategies to Unleash Productivity. Let Belay help your church live its mission in your community by helping you juggle less and accomplish more. Just go to Belay, that's B-E-L-A-Y, solutions.com slash lifeway for your free download.
1: So Tyler, you mentioned uh, taking some time to go to Onsite, which is kind of a intensive uh, yeah. counseling and leadership development and, and personal development kind of spot. Um, mm-hmm. I know you have a huge heart for leaders doing that kind of deep internal work, uh, so that they can be prepared to last for the long haul. Yeah. And, uh, so would you tell folks a little bit about what you're doing with the 1010 project?
2: Yeah. So, um, about a year ago this, this week, uh, we were in Colorado I think it's actually where we might met Mike for the first time, I believe. And, or maybe it's anyway, we hung out there. And, um, last year we had a, a pastor with us and basically that this little thing called young guns that Brad Lominick does is, um, just getting young pastors and, and influencers in a room to go, Hey, you got to put some health around you. You gotta, you gotta know some things to try to stay in the game. And we had a pastor speaking with us that week named Darren Patrick, and it was just a super powerful couple of days as it, Darren had, um, a big church that he lost because of a moral failure and had worked. I mean, done restoration and, and gone through all this stuff. And that last night of that thing, um, he came over to me. We were doing worship and he just knelt down next to me and he said, you know, I saw you a minute ago and I felt like the Lord just showed me that there's this this cloud of disappointment around you. Not that you're a disappointment, but that you're feeling this big. And and I just start crying because that's exactly what I'd felt. I felt like the ministries, the ministry I was leading, it just um, there was a lot of disappointment involved. And I said, Darren, and the beautiful thing is I thought about four other, three other guys in the room who had just walked through some significant ministry disappointments outside of their control. Mm -hmm. And I said, do you mind if we just get a little time together tonight? And so we did, we sat in a cabin and and truthfully, it was one of the most powerful spiritual moments I've had in a long time. Mm -hmm. And then three weeks later, Darren kills himself. Mm -hmm. And I remember that was my third pastor friend that had taken their life in 12 months. And (laughs) Truthfully, when I left Catalyst, I was okay to just, just work and and like just do my thing, <laughs> like take, take care of the family. That's it. Like I'm good. Like I don't need to go you know, step out on anything. I'm I'm good. I've done that. That weekend, my spirit was so unsettled, I couldn't see straight. I was like, and honestly, I felt like the Lord said, "You've buried the talent," and that just it, it crushed me because I but I had. That's exactly what I did. All the relationships, all the network, all the love for leaders, all the skill, the calling for leaders, I buried it because I'd been hurt and I didn't want to deal with it but then I lose a friend and I go, I cannot lose another friend if I can help it. And so Josh Turner, who's a friend of mine, he was one of those four people that sat in the cabin who had been doing some work with him. He was a pastor who lost his church because of some crazy stuff. And I just called him that weekend. It was during COVID, you know, COVID's happening. And so he came and sat six feet away in my driveway <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, here's what I think we're supposed to do. And you need to decide if you're going to do it. Cause I'm doing it. I don't care. I basically was like, I really, I, I'm going to do something. And the big piece for me, Mike, here's the, the few things that came to mind. Number one, the more successful in ministry you become, the more isolated you become. The reason I say that is because you grow in success. Now, if you have a problem or an addiction or inappropriate feelings, your elder board, you're scared to death to talk to them about it. Because, yeah. and they should be the people you could talk to about. But now they're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what does this mean for us? Do we have to go find another? Like, are you going to make it? Do we like you're scared of losing your job? Then you've got most of your friends are now on payroll at your church or they go to your church. You know, a lot of pastors just get insulated and they, they don't have friendships outside of what they do. Because I thought about Darren and I thought this guy had every reason not to do this. Like he mm-hmm. literally had every bit of training, every bit of skill, every bit of understanding, therapy. He had more relationships than the four of us, three of us combined. And yet he still had a secret that took him to that point. And I just thought, what about guys that don't even have that? And so mm-hmm. what we created was, and 1010 comes from Ecclesiastes 1010 that says, when the axe grows dull, it's harder to swing. But when it with skill comes success. The idea is we need guys girls, leaders, whatever. Like for us, it's male pastors is how we started. We're, we're definitely looking at potentially rolling out, um, a project with, uh, business leaders this fall and women in leadership. We're talking, uh, I've, I was supposed to have a call yesterday with four really strong women leaders who want to help create that for, for that. Um, but I'm not a female leader. So I don't want to like, we can give the process, but we want to have, you know, but basically what we decided to do is put guys in relationship for 12 months. So it kicks off with a a big excursion. Uh, we've got options from fly fishing to snowmobiling to UTV rides in Bryce Canyon, like just really fun stuff. Just get guys out of their world because we've been on enough trips where you finally see guys feel safe sitting around a fire somewhere and they say some things, but then they go back to their regular world and they, what do I do now? Dang yeah. it. I, I tasted the honey, right? <laughs> I felt safe. <laughs> yeah. And so what we've tried to do is go, we're going to put you on this trip and you're going to be in a group of four to six guys who are lead pastors, senior pastors, senior leaders in a church so that you're not like, you're, you're equal in the, in the, the scope of what you're doing. Because Mike, like, I think about you, like, you know, that I understand a lot of the weights that you have to carry. And I would understand when you go, yeah, I'm dealing with this because I've been there. Yeah. A lot of people don't, they don't know that. So what it would look like if for you, you knew that for the next 12 months, you got these four guys, five guys who don't need anything from you, but understand what you're going through. That's a safe environment. So then, um, after the excursion, we kick it off. We do monthly zoom coaching. And that's where I pulled the old talent back out of the sand. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we got Mark Batterson doing the first, it's, it's the world I lived in. And these guys are like, yeah, I'm I'm in Judd Wilhite's Mm going to do one in, in next month on leading and picking your board. Nobody teaches that. Like, so we'll do an hour of that. Then they'll break up for an hour with their group. And that's, we told the guys, you cannot, Fake your way through this. Like it's not worth it. We lost friends because of that. Mm. But we don't, it, and don't they do? Do
1: they? <laughs> do you guys do like a counseling
2: component too? Well, yeah, that's what on site like. So at month six, after we do the month, so now you five months in relationship, you're going to go through that on-site experience with, with the five, six people that are in your circle. Now Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, as somebody who's been through it, it is hard for me to believe that after six months of a great world-class experience, you're doing monthly coaching together. You're texting all the time. Then you go through a heavy lifting counseling component like that, where you're learning about mental and emotional health and how to deal with it it's hard for me to believe you're not going to have a couple guys in your corner for life. Um, mm, yeah. and you've learned some skills to manage it. So yeah, then we'll do a for another four or five more months of coaching and finish out with another excursion. But the, the real goal is that you have a couple friends coming out of this mm-hmm. and that you've got some skills to and some tools in your tool belt to manage some of the really difficult things that pastors have to manage. So I know that's a long answer, but it, it, it kind of warrants it because that's where it comes from and that's why we've developed it the way we have.
1: And I appreciate you sharing that. And I want to guys uh, and ladies who are listening, who are young leaders to hear that because um, it can get really lonely, especially when you're wrestling with things and you are not sure. Who you can trust uh, and you're afraid that if I'm honest about what I'm wrestling with, then that could have some long term consequences that would negatively affect me or negatively affect my family. And that keeps you trapped. Yeah. It keeps you trapped in this cycle. Uh, That is self perpetuating and you go deeper and deeper. And so I appreciate you uh, sharing that, man. And uh, so you uh, you as you've been developing uh, in leadership over the years now wrote this new book, Leading Things You Didn't Start. Uh, And there's so many different good ideas and concepts and practical wisdom included in the book Um, for leaders who are taking over something that they didn't start. One, there's a lot of stuff in the book, that's helpful. So pick up the book. There's one thing in particular though, that stood out to me. Um, and you have a whole chapter in the book about uh, honoring the past. Yeah. And so you had to do this coming into Catalyst. Other leaders are, are having to navigate this. What practical advice would you give somebody stepping into a
2: new leadership role about honoring the past? Yeah, and it's, I mean, I, I wrote it because it's not just for the, the leader who's stepping into the key role or this, like it's anybody that's stepping into a team that already exists and you're following a leader that people either loved or didn't like or like we all do that. I, that's why I wrote it. I realized that there's very few resources on stepping in. Uh, but that's what 90 percent of us do. Very few of us start anything. Right. And so there's just a skill set, a leadership thing. And what I learned quickly, number one, is that I'm always going to honor longer than I need to. Um, and a lot of people are willing, like a lot of people come in guns plays a new sheriff in town, like, Hey, great job for the last 15 years. Now here's where we're going. Mm-hmm. I uh, like, uh, I'm going to need you to give me a little more than that <laughs> I, because what people don't realize, and this uh-huh. is, this is a big leadership concept. There is a generation that believed that the thank you notes that the employees get is a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And that I don't believe that. Like that is, that is an old school way of thinking that you work for me. The paycheck is enough. Thanks. Here's the truth. Everybody chooses to be where they are. Like if I'm working at this place, I had other options. Now you might not have had it at the time, or whatever. but I don't have to work here. Right? Like I'm choosing to be a part of this. Well, as a leader, I want to say, thank you that you're choosing to be a part of this by creating value around you by creating space. And so when you come into a place and you now have a team of people that when they took the job, they didn't, you were not in the scope of that job, that job, or that role. I almost said droll because I was putting job and role together. That was going to be really good. Um, at one of my, I, you know, I have four case studies in the back of the book with, with leaders who have stepped in. And one of those is Buzz Williams, who is the head coach at Texas A&M basketball buzz. That was a fourth major D one program that he would taken over. And he was a hundred days in, at the time I interviewed him, how do you go into a program where not one of those players you recruited, not one of those, like you didn't create a single ounce of the culture. They did not sign up for you. And if you come in there and you do not honor where they've been through, what they've been working on, where they've come from, you will lose influence from the moment go. And my heartbeat is how do we gain influence when we step in? Well, even if there's crap in the past, you honor the things you want to celebrate so that they understand what you value. Right. And so when I say, gosh, you guys, Hey, yeah, I did this at catalyst. One of the greatest things we do and one of the greatest things I've ever seen from Brad is he created and you created some of the most world-class events and the truth is the Christian Space does not get that reputation and that's unbelievable. Now I knew there were things I wanted to work on and I knew there were things that I felt like we could get better at, but I also knew that's what we can hang our hat on. Is unbelievable experience. And so I'm going to grab a hold of those honoring things. Now here's the truth. I mentioned this earlier. I I'm a gray guy, you know, like I, everything's emotional, whatever. I don't think it was until year five of Catalyst West when I've been in charge for five years that I wasn't thinking about the past a little bit when I would step up on stage. Now that's too long. Because one of the things I say in that chapter is honor, but then move on. Yeah. There is a time that you just finally have to go. Nope. I'm here now. This is my role. Well, and this is my responsibility. And it's such a tough balance. Yeah. It really
1: is. But the reason I appreciated you including that in the book is because I think one of the things I picked up on, uh, over years of leadership is honor is really not about them. It's really about you. Sure. Dude. It's about it's your heart own integrity and your own character to say, Hey, I'm going to honor this person that I, that I come after. Um, and, uh, but without it holding me back in the leadership that I have in the, in the future. So I appreciated you bringing that up in your book. And I think that's huge
2: for, for leaders to to understand in the practice. Yeah. And you know, the way I would say it too, Mike was, I I remember very early on, even when I was working for Brad and he was still in the room, he's like, where do you think we should be going? And I remember saying this out loud, Hey, when I talk about where we're going, it is not an indictment on where we've been. It is not an indictment on Brad's leadership. But that's what we want to do as humans, right? Oh, that guy just said, we should go a different direction. That means he doesn't like Brad. <laughs> no, that's actually not what I mean. But simply by saying it out loud to people. We love you, Brad. <laughs> we do love you, Brad. <laughs> and he knows that. That's what's beautiful about our friendship. I bet you for, for the, and he and I have talked about this publicly multiple times. For the first 18 months, people wanted there to be a story. Like they, they wanted their, like people were like, there's got to be more than just Brad left and you took over. Actually, there's not like Brad had some He One of the first things he said after his three months sabbatical, when I had taken over was that he got his smile back. He had just been in it so long and he'd just been grinding. It was time. time. And Henry Cloud's book, Necessary Endings, for any of you that are wondering about when it's time, please read that book. It is so valuable for understanding that everybody, everything has an expiration date on it. And so (laughs) you just have to know that and be okay with that.
0: Well, let's move to the quick hitter questions here. And these are going to be short one minute answers and we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake <laughs> up, get into the office, you know, play your daily <laughs> round of golf?
2: Unstructured. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Every day changes. <laughs> but well, there's one thing that remains the same. I drop the kids off and I go uh, to school and then I go get Chick-fil-A. So, I mean, it's, that is a consistent morning routine. And I wish I was joking, but I'm not. Um, I need to add that into my daily it's a great routine routine. It is so <laughs> it's good. It is worth Pelotoning extra 10 minutes for that biscuit. <laughs> it's true. Uh, you know, there's a couple of things that I, that really matter to me. One, um, I was actually talking to somebody the other, uh, yesterday on, on my podcast and I asked them some leadership advice that's been great for them. And one of the things they said is be a there you are leader instead of here I am. And, every day I want to find somebody that I can celebrate and somebody that I can bring life to. And so I just try every day to go. And, and honestly, a lot of days it needs to be my kids, my boys and my wife. And, um, what stinks is a lot of times they don't get that because I'm doing it all day, every day. And so if they're listening, I'm working on it. Um, but I I think that's a big piece. Um, I've got, yeah. I'm not going to go in there, but like, I just, I'm not a super structured person. And I remember Fran, who's my, um, she's been my leadership coach for 15 years and she, she's, she's who got me into it. She's who I love. I just adore. She's, uh, you ever seen the Incredibles, you know, the Edna who makes the suits. Oh yeah. That's what Fran looks like. And that's like, she just, <laughs> it's, she's the best. And Fran, I remember one time I walked out and said, she goes, how are you doing in your relationship? And I said, with Jesus. And I said, well, Fran, you know, I've been trying to get in my office early and close the door and journal. And she goes, how long are you going to fight your unique wiring? But in my understanding from church was that equaled a vibrant relationship with Jesus and she goes, Tyler, when do you come most alive? I said, when I talk about Jesus with my friends and she goes, then quit fighting, like do more of that. And you'll grow in your relationship. Now it doesn't like the spiritual disciplines matter. Richard Foster, I know you love them and I love them. And the spiritual disciplines matter. They do. And they matter to me. I have to Discipline myself in some of those things, but I also don't want to get so specific in how I meet with God. Uh, One of the books for my class that I teach at Southeastern and we, the whole class is on service production, but the book I make them read is sacred pathways by Gary Thomas, because I want them to understand that when we're programming, we are not programming for a specific pathway of how i receive or connect with God most. I've got nine different ones. I've got people all over that love tradition or they love aesthetics or they love to be. So I just, to me, the disciplines matter. Gosh, see, this is way longer than a minute. Sorry, Chandler. That's totally my fault. <laughs> hey, you're good. I'm a chatter. Good stuff. So anyway, I just, I feel like getting some discipline, but also understanding myself and knowing when I grow closer to God and how to do that throughout the day.
1: That's good, man. What's your uh, favorite personality test? You mentioned some right
2: path and some other things you do. What's your favorite? It's not fair. That is an unfair question. Um, I am not a big Enneagram champion and people hate me for that. And okay. I, I haven't figured out how to use it for how people process yet. That's the struggle I have right path. Um, predictive index is pretty good. My favorite assessment right now, I'm doing it with a lot of teams, which is the five behaviors based on Lencioni's five yeah. dysfunctions of a team because it includes disc profile in it. So I can talk about team and their uniqueness all in the middle of it. Mm. What's an unusual
0: habit <laughs> that helps you in your leadership?
2: Does the Chick-fil-A one fit or no? Like I <laughs> um, Absolutely. <laughs> an unusual habit I, I am still a procrastinator. And um, part of that is because I know I'm better in the light in the in the moment. And so that again, when we talk about the crutch that we can use from knowing ourselves, that's a crutch for me. This is how pathetic it is that my first draft of the leading things you didn't start was due on January 15th of 2019, I think or 2020. As of December, the second week of December, I'd written two of the 16 chapters and I thought, I still have time. Like that's (laughs) jacked up. So, like, but it's (laughs) too stressful. For me, I I can try to get planned further and further out. I just know myself. I don't ever, until I feel the urgency. I don't, I can't focus in this hyper-focused way. And so instead of fighting it, I just try to make sure that I have people around me that help make sure things are happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wrote a book in a month. It's
1: it's
2: (laughs) It's wild. Not good. What's your favorite app on your phone? Um, Probably. I mean, I love Instagram because I love people and I love being around it. ESPN app is by far the most used app on my phone. That's for sure. What has been the best book you've read in the past six months? Um, Probably EQ 2.0 because I'd never really read it. I was like a diehard Goldman fan. And so I was like, no. And then I read it and I went, yes, this is better. (laughs) So that's probably, and honestly, I use it now all the time. So probably emotional intelligence 2.0. All
1: right. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time?
2: Uh, become proud of how God uniquely made you and it will blow your mind how he's going to call you to stuff when you, when you, when you trust that calling.
0: (laughs) Well, Tyler, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review to help other young leaders like yourself find the podcast and we'll see you next week.